Hello and welcome to another episode of What Gets Captured on Film. I'm your host, Dylan Paulson, and this is episode 15. And if you're new here, this is a place all about movies and movie news. Each week I'll go through some of the biggest headlines that the entertainment industry has gifted to us. And I'll give you the rundown of all the news and some of my opinions about it as well. So, uh, last week we had a pretty short episode. It was the uh, week directly after New Year's Eve. So, here we're back with a, you know, should be a full regular length episode. There's plenty of things to talk about. Uh, Not too many big ticket news stories, but, you know, plenty of stuff to to talk about. Uh, This episode is going to cover everything from January 5th through January 11th. Again, this is a show where I try to give you as many different topics as possible, all under the realm of movies. If you're looking for video games, if you're looking for TV shows, if you're looking for, you know, celebrity news, you're going to have to go somewhere else. This is all about movie news. If you want to write into the show, please do. It's free. There's a Gmail, what gets captured at gmail.com. You can write in any sort of question, any sort of inquiry. If you disagree with me, if you agree with me, if you're enjoying the show, if you're not enjoying the show, please write in. I'll read your inquiry on the air and uh, we can have some sort of discussion there as well. So with all that being said, let's get into some of the news. Um, these things that I just want to, I, I, there's a lot here. This section is usually a little smaller, but there's a ton here that I really want to talk about. Some small things that don't deserve a full write-up of a story, but uh, things I definitely want to talk about. But before we do that, let's get into the box office results of this past weekend. This is the weekend of January 7th. So number one is still Spider-Man No Way Home. Number two, Sing 2. Number three, The 355, which is that uh, spy movie with a mostly female cast. Number four is The King's Man. Number five is American Underdog holding on there. So if you were curious about uh, some grosses, Spider-Man No Way Home, $32.5 million last weekend. Uh, It's still huge. It's still a ton of money. Uh, Sing 2, $11.5 million. And uh, this weekend it it got its total domestic gross over $100 million. The 355 opened last weekend to about $4.5 million in over 3,000 theaters. It's it's okay. It's pretty bad. Um, but, uh, you know, it opened in January, and it's opening with Spider-Man still killing it with, you know, $32.5 million weekend. That's huge. Uh, the King's Man got about just over $3 million, and American Underdog, $2 million. Some other movies, uh, The Matrix Resurrections is still up there. West Side Story, Ghostbusters Afterlife is still up there. And uh, Licorice Pizza... It grossed just under a million dollars last weekend. It's currently in 772 theaters, and uh, its total gross is just over $8 million. And again, that's all domestic. Any number that I read here is domestic, according to IMDb Pro. So, uh, you know, that being said, I'd just like to give you the rundown. I end the show every week talking about uh, the new movies that are going to be coming to theaters this upcoming week, and then... I like to start every show with how that weekend went. So I don't, I think there was only one movie released last week. Um, I don't know. I I would have to listen to the show or or go on IMDb, but um, it didn't look like that. Whatever that movie was uh, is here now. So um, shows up in this 
box office results. So, uh, so yeah. So let's move on. Let's get into the, some of the news. So the SAG Award nominees will be announced on Wednesday at seven. I unfortunately won't. You know, I release the podcast on Wednesday, so I won't be able to cover that until next week. But uh, Wednesday at seven Pacific time. If you are curious, they're going to be announced by Rosario Dawson and Vanessa Hudgens. Next week, we'll have a ton to talk about. Uh, the SAG Awards is, are huge, so looking forward to that. Um, and, okay, next thing. According to The Hollywood Reporter, Sandra Bullock. Uh, oh, okay, here. Sorry. Sometimes I write myself little notes, and I'm not really sh- even sure what they say. Um, but here we go. Yeah, so Sandra Bullock uh, did a interview with The Hollywood Reporter, and she was talking about Netflix. Uh, and this is a quote from that interview. She says, quote, They're good to artists. They're good to filmmakers. If it wasn't for Netflix, a lot of people wouldn't be working. Their stories wouldn't be told. Who would think that me, as a woman, would still be working at this point? I would have been out in the cow pasture, it's true, end quote. And she was obviously kidding about that last line, being out in the cow pasture. And I know that, you know, taken out of context, it seemed like she's just talking about gender. Um, In the context of the larger interview, she's also talking about her age, right? Sandra Bullock isn't necessarily young anymore. She can't get these you know, young, uh, I don't know, young female, hot woman, you know, roles. Um, not sure how else to put that, but, uh, so, you know, she's a bit of an older woman and so it's harder for her to find work. So she's, uh, you know, applauding Netflix for, you know, giving people the opportunity to work. And I just wanted to bring this up in sort of a conversation around, uh, Netflix and the streaming era and what that does for the industry as a whole. So if it wasn't for this quote is taken out of context in a lot of ways, but you know, just this quote, if it wasn't for Netflix, a lot of people wouldn't be working, you know, at, at, you know, at its core, that is true. A lot of people definitely would not be working, but there's a lot of like philosophical uh, thoughts around this, around the era now that we're living in with streaming, right? Because Netflix kind of created the, they pushed the industry in a direction, in the direction that we're seeing now with, with streaming and then, uh, you know, it's streaming of, uh, of movies and TV shows well after they've had their theatrical run, right? And maybe they even had some DVD sales or whatever. And then, you know, that pushed the industry forward and then they created their own original content. So it was day and date on streaming and that pushed the industry forward. And then... So it creates competition elsewhere, and that competition needs to create their own um, their own content, right? Like Disney, like Hulu. You have Hulu exclusive shows. You have Disney Plus original shows, and um, I can't even think HBO Max original shows, right? And then when you get to movies, movies require, you know, from the perspective of, of these studios, they require a bigger investment. So. And when you when you have big players in this game, like Hulu is uh, used to be Fox and Disney, now it's just Fox, you know, 20th century. You have Disney with Disney Plus. You have Warner Media with HBO Max. Um, soon to have Discovery Plus as well with that merger that I talked about a few weeks ago. When you have those um, with these big players, they need to, you know, th- this having the service creating this exclusive content is. Um, pricey, right? So you need that, um, 
value proposition of having exclusive, big ticket exclusive items. And what that does is push the industry forward. And as X approaches infinity, which is what we're, you know, kind of living in now is in that in between space between, um, you know, late 90s, early 2000s industry as we knew it versus today with streaming is, you know, almost every, anything you can find streaming. Um, but, you know, even that isn't necessarily true because the industry is starting to push back. You'll see things that are only in theaters, right? Like a ton of, um, I, we'll talk about a few trailers later in the show that are only in theaters. Um, that, well, not the trailers, the, uh, the movies will be only in theaters. So yeah, this is long winded. I'm not really sure what I'm trying to say here, but with, with all of that, that explanation, but Netflix at its core created, right? This is what I'm trying to say is Netflix created the industry that we're living in now. They push it forward to this point. So to say, if it wasn't for Netflix, a lot of people wouldn't be working. It's true, but it all, Netflix also created that right so did netflix create more jobs for people i don't necessarily think so because and then this is like almost what sandra bullock is saying is that netflix gives you know budget to projects that wouldn't be created otherwise and and there's a lot of there's a lot of contradiction going on right now because George Clooney, when he was talking about, he was promoting the tender bar and he was talking about movies that, you know, these A tier, not double A AA or triple A movies, these A tier movies that would come and go and get a big following in the DVD market. Those movies, or maybe that was Matt Damon was saying that those movies don't exist anymore. And those movies, um, you know, might be a Netflix exclusive movie, but even then they require a huge investment. So th there's kind of a contradiction going on between what Sandra Bullock is saying here. You know, we're, we're getting more jobs because of Netflix or what Matt Damon was saying was that, you know, we can't really make the things that we used to make anymore, um, which has kind of put him out of work. So I'm not really sure what to think about all this, but, you know, just what, we can say is that the industry is changing and it's going to change and whoever wants to try and oppose that change is going to have a really tough time adapting. The industry is moving towards streaming. There's no doubt about it. I don't think movie theaters are going anywhere, period. I don't think movie theaters are going anywhere, but I think that you're going to have a tough time finding um, movies like Licorice Pizza going forward, right? Movie theaters, say 20 years from now, are going to be reserved for big budget Matrix, big budget Spider-Man, right? Ghostbusters. But it's going to be tough to find licorice pizza around unless you live in a city. It's going to be tough, right? You might have to travel 30, 40, 50 minutes to see, to see a movie and that in theaters, I mean, and that's tough, no doubt. So, um, I think I said all I wanted to say about that. That was kind of rambly. I feel like in my head, when I put that in the, in the news, I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to have a good discussion about this, but that was a little rambly and all over the place. So I might wind up cutting that out. Probably won't though. Cause I think there's a, a few good nuggets of information there. Okay. Next thing. Um, yeah. So, uh, uncharted is coming out soon, I think in February and 
they released a new clip of the movie on Twitter. It's a clip leading up to the famous Nathan Drake hangs out of the, you know, moving airplane scene. It's from Uncharted 3 is in the game, and now it's and it's like the tentpole action sequence of this movie, it seems like. And they released on Twitter the full scene leading up, the full action sequence of Tom Holland there. And I didn't really watch it. I watched, you know, 20 seconds of it, and I realized it was the whole scene and not some sort of cut trailer. And I was like, I'm not watching this. Like, I've seen enough of this. And that's really the thing that I took away from that campaign of putting that out there is that they're just showing way too much of this movie. They're going to stop at a certain point and just let the movie speak for itself. They're going to market it as much as they're going to market it, but you're showing way too much of the movie. If this is the tentpole sequence of the movie and this is what you want people in the theaters for, then it's already there. We already saw it, you know? I, so I don't even really know who the audience is for this movie, to be honest. Tom Holland fans, maybe. I don't, I don't know. Uh, next thing. Actors round to... Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. So Hollywood Reporter had been starting to to do this again, this, uh, you know, creator's roundtable. Um, and they did an actress one a few weeks ago. We talked about it on this show with uh, Kirsten Dunst, Kristen Stewart, and a few others. Now there's uh, they have the actor's roundtable featuring Nick Cage, Peter Dinklage, Andrew Garfield, Jonathan Majors, and Simon Rex. Uh, it's on The Hollywood Reporter. You can give it a watch. Uh, it's a full, like, hour-long clip. There's a lot. If you're interested in acting or show business, there's a lot of good information there. I didn't get the chance to watch it. Otherwise, I would have given some sort of impression or opinion about it, but um, I just didn't get the chance to. Figured I'd let you all know that it's there if you want to look for it. So, okay, next thing. According to Deadline, Spider-Man No Way Home failed to qualify for BAFTAs, the BAFTA Awards, because Sony forgot to upload the movie to the website portal. I know there's been a lot of conversation around, especially on the show, about No Way Home being a best picture contender. And I just find this absolutely hilarious. This just shows that Sony, Sony Pictures and Marvel, don't actually really care. They just, the fans want. You know, the, the hardcore fans that love this Spider-Man movie want want it to be in the conversation of best picture, but it's not going to be. They know it, they know it's not gonna, you know, they know. Sony knows. They know when a movie is Oscar worthy. They know. They make these movies, right? And they knew that they could market this movie. This is that's why it's breaking records, right? That's why it's the biggest movie pandemic pandemic aside of the year. Of the past two years, three years, since Avengers Endgame. It's the biggest movie. Highest grossing movie. Not adjusted for inflation. I don't know where this conversation is coming from about uh, Sony, or not Sony, but about Spider-Man being a Best Picture nominee. It's it's not a contender. It's not, it's not that good. Sorry, guys. But I've beaten that, I've beaten that uh, horse plenty. So I, um, I feel like I should just move on and cut my losses. If, if you disagree, if you want to hear more, you know, please write in and I'd be happy to oblige, but okay. Anyway, makeup and hairstylist guild awards nominees have been announced. You can check them out if that's your niche, if you're interested in that. And last thing, Netflix announced that don't look up as the second biggest film of all time on their platform behind red notice as the first biggest movie of all time. So don't look up. Um, you know, released on Christmas Eve this past year. I'm going to uh, look for the numbers here. Um, 
across... Okay, so as of January 9th, and I'm recording this on the 11th, they uh, Don't Look Up has 321 billion hours. 321 and a half billion hours of view. Oh, that's million. Sorry. Yeah, I'm counting in my head. Hundreds, thousands, million. Yeah, 321 and a half million viewing hours, right? And if we divide that, we'll say it's about two and a half hour movie. I think it's longer than that. But 321.5 divided by 2.5. So about, so if this were a movie and if all those people paid for it, which I know they didn't, um, right? It wouldn't work like that. Not all those people would go to the theaters. But let's just say if it did, um, that would be 128 and a half million people, people, not dollars. If you want dollars, I don't know, about $500 million maybe. And that's about two weeks. So, um, but yeah, so, okay. So how Netflix defines, so that was, that was just like a fun little mind exercise. It doesn't really matter, but how Netflix defines how popular a movie is, is because is how they'll take the amount of hours spent watching it. Not users spent watching it, but just time spent watching it. And uh, take that per the time it's been on the platform. And the only other movie that has surpassed that... So the movie came out December 24th. 321.5 million hours watched. I'm pretty sure this is worldwide. It doesn't specify any... Yeah, globally. So globally. Since December 24th. And the only movie to surpass that is Red Notice, which got 364 million hours in its first, it says 28 days. So um, Don't Look Up if it holds this, and it's only been out for 17 days. So if Don't Look Up holds this momentum, it could become the most popular uh, Netflix uh, movie of all time. And this is not exclude. this is not Netflix exclusive content. This is any movie on Netflix. But what you have to imagine is um, that the movie is, it's only becoming as, you know, Netflix is only claiming it's as popular as it is because um, because of the short period of time that it's been out, right? So if that momentum just dips and that movie is not popular anymore, let's just say it'll stay at 321 and a half million views a year from now, that's not going to happen. It's this is a huge big ticket movie. But let's just say that that happens. Then that movie's going to crumble and fall because a, a movie with that amount of hours watched over the course of a year is way less popular. So it's only you know as according to Netflix's um, you know mode of taking data and calling you know so popularity right according to Netflix is a data point and um and don't look up as popular now right because of the time frame that it's been out but what's probably going to happen is this is going to surpass red notice i think it's a way better movie than red notice hands down so much better um the cast is better i think it's entertaining but the thing that's tough is that the Beginning of the movie is kind of all over the place, kind of bonkers, kind of weird, um, not paced right, tonally odd. And when you're on the platform, when you're on Netflix, 
and you're as, as, veil as available as Netflix is, you need to hook your viewers right away. You got to, that first, you, I mean, you got to grab them by the throat and say, this is, this is the movie. This is a movie. You need to watch this movie. This is entertaining. And I don't think Don't Look Up does that. Um, because any person that watches Netflix is on the same platform as YouTube. They could be watching anything, right? Netflix is available everywhere. You're the, the Netflix wants people's time, right? That's why it measures viewing hours as opposed to subscriptions. Well, to obviously it measures subscriptions, but for the content, right? It measures viewing hours. So, and it does that because their, 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 your time is valuable to them because anytime not spent on Netflix is time spent on another platform. Essentially, that's the, um, that's the opportunity cost of being on another platform is that you miss something somewhere else, right? So they need to prove that their content is valuable enough to take your time away from any every other platform and say, this is where it deserves to be. And I think that Don't Look Up is good enough and it's certainly important enough to, to gain that type of popularity. But I don't think... It's, I don't think quality-wise of those first 20, 30 minutes, it's actually deserving of it um, as, a, as a movie. But, you know, Red Notice definitely was not. that. I mean, as entertaining as Red Notice was, definitely fun action movie. I mean, it's not, it wasn't great. It wasn't great. And, uh, it, yeah, yeah, that was it. It wasn't great. Um, but, you know, what do I know? I said that movie wasn't great and it's the most popular thing on Netflix right now. So, okay. Anyway, let's move on. So that's everything small that I wanted to talk about before the news. But before we get into the news, let's talk about what I watched this week. I watched The Power of the Dog, which uh, is this big movie, supposedly in a lot of award uh, conversations. We'll talk about that in the first story. Um, but... I think there was the Critics' Choice Awards or something recently, and it won the top honor. Um, and I was looking for thing. I didn't watch... I haven't watched a movie, I think, for this show in the past, like, two weeks. And I felt really bad about it. Um, <laughs> so I was just looking through Netflix and seeing, like, oh, what's something that I could watch that's topical, that is relatively new, that m is good. And I saw The Power of the Dog. I didn't even realize that it was a Netflix original movie. And I was like, oh my God, that's perfect. It's We're right in the midst of award season. Tons of nominations are coming out. Oscars could come out any day. So I'm like, wow, that's awesome. I'll definitely watch The Power of the Dog. And I was hoping to be able to, to just gush over this movie. And I, it's almost there for me. Almost there. So in the time that I've been doing the show, there hasn't been a movie that I've watched, that I've like reviewed and talked about on the show, that I've been able to truly just gush about how good it is. And this movie is almost there. It's like 90% there. Um, directed by Jane Campion, written by Jane Campion. It's adapted from Thomas Savage's book, I think of the same name, starring Benedict Cumberbatch, Kirsten Dunst, Jesse Plemons, and Cody Smith-McPhee. It is about this man, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's character. It takes place in Montana in 1925, I believe. 
It's about Benedict Cumberbatch's character, um, and he is a he is a menace to the people around him. He is a mean man, let's say, and uh, he lives with his brother on a on a ranch. Uh, his brother, played by Jesse Plemons, marries a a woman, and her son. Um, her and her son move in, move on to the ranch, and uh, it's pretty much about the relationship between uh, this mean man played by Benedict Cumberbatch and uh, and the relationship between him and and him and the wife and him and the son and um, the tension that that goes on there. Uh, pretty simplistic in nature, plot wise, you know, pretty easy to follow. I think that's why it is is captured by so many people. Um, it's so the the thing that you got to know is the movie is really slow and i wish that i watched it in theaters um obviously it's a netflix movie i'm not going to i'm not going to pay to to go to the theater to watch a, Nef- a movie that's on netflix i'm just just not going to do that um i mean why would you why would anyone you know what's the value proposition there unless you love you know unless you love it um but no so yeah so it was because I wish it was in theaters because um, movies in theaters demand your full attention the whole time. And without the, um, or, or sorry, with the sort of uh, distractions that go on in everyday life, cell phones, emails, uh, you know, I don't know. I live in a neighborhood. There are people walking by, cars driving by. You know, I have a cat that demands attention and she meows and she plays. There's distractions in life when you watch something at home, when you do anything at home. There are distractions. And this movie, I felt myself getting pulled away from it. And that's not a knock on... Well, it might be. Some people might see it as a knock on the quality. Um, It should be able to hold my attention, right? Shouldn't it? Yeah, it should. It should. A movie should be able to hold my attention. But... I felt like the story was being told in in this in this incredibly earnest, incredibly um, quiet way, and it was subtle. That's the word I'm looking for. Everything was very subtle. Um, the movie was written very well. It was written for the screen, definitely. I mean. It doesn't hold the audience's hand in any way. There are certainly moments that um, you really need to dig deep into a performance, and and you know they're trying to show you something as opposed to tell you something, and just say you know I'm mad in this scene or whatever. That's a bad example, but like how how the characters are feeling in the scene, what are the characters thinking in the scene? It's it's very based upon performance and based upon uh, you know, situational awareness. So because of real life distractions going on, I think that this is a poor Netflix movie, but like we were talking about with Sandra Bullock, uh, I don't know if this movie could be made if it wasn't for Netflix. I don't know if it could be distributed, right? I don't know the ins and outs of how this movie, it was probably made. It was probably, you know, made, produced, and then Netflix picked it up and distributed it is probably what happened. After a a film show somewhere, you know, international, whatever. So this movie, 
Right. So that's, you know, that's kind of the intro, what I think about it there. The subtlety of the movie, of the characters, of the situations they find themselves in is lovely. It is wonderful to watch and it only aims to benefit the theme that it is portraying and and putting out there. Um, However, there's one thing in the movie that I can't get over, and it's kind of a big thing. And I and I wonder, and I'm I've been thinking about it all day. I watched this movie last night. I've been thinking about it all day. Is if I missed it, if I am not understanding this, or um, one of these distractions that I've been talking about just kind of pulled me away for just long enough to 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 miss something. Right. Or wait, those are the same thing. So did I miss it? Right. Or is it the movie's fault for um, not being explicit enough? And I'm not, so to be honest, I don't know. I don't have an answer for you, but um, I am going to spoil part of the movie. It's not really a big deal because the um, the plot is kind of written out in the IMDb summary. Um I, I didn't watch trailer, but I'm sure you probably could get a feel for what's happening, what's going to happen in the movie. So it's not like a plot um, spoiler. It's more, uh, so I'll just say it, is that Benedict Cumberbatch's character, he's, you know, he starts as a mean man and he grows to be a loving character, right? That's kind of what happens. That's what you expect in a movie like this. What I must have missed or the movie wasn't, you know, didn't have this scene. In, I I felt like this scene was not in the movie. But what I must have missed is that there should be a moment, a scene, an interaction between Benedict Cumberbatch and the, the son in the movie, played by Cody Smith-McPhee. There should have been a scene where there's a turning point. And I felt like it wasn't there. I felt like in one scene, and it was abrupt too. So that's why I'm thinking that um, that the movie didn't do it. Is that Benedict Cumberbatch is mean in one scene, and then in the next scene, he, you know, his shell is broken, and I felt like we missed something. There's a there's a crack there. There's a piece missing there. I, I didn't see that. Maybe something happened. Right, and right, and in the scene I'm thinking of is Cody Smith McPhee's walking around this camp of ranchers, and um, and Benedict Cumberbatch is like, oh, you you know, come here. I feel like you and I got off on the wrong foot, and I'm like, that just like kind of came out of nowhere to me, because the movie sets up at that point that Benedict Cumberbatch's character would never do something like that. He meets the kid right away and starts making fun of him, picking at him, you know, that's his character. That's Cumberbatch's character. So where, where's that coming from? I felt like that wasn't warranted. The start of the change in dynamic of the character, I felt like wasn't warranted because we didn't see it. But the reason why I say that Maybe I missed it. Maybe, you know, I just happened to miss that moment. 
is because this movie is really, really well regarded in critic circles. And it's kind of like, you know, oh, shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't put, I shouldn't make that, um, you know, assert that judgment over the movie just because it's well-liked elsewhere, right? I should form my own opinion. And I totally do. I totally do have my own opinion. I don't love the movie. No, I... I mean, that's just it. I don't love the movie. It's not like it's a personal movie. It doesn't speak to me in any sort of big, meaningful way. But it's a good movie. It is a damn good movie. It does everything it needs to do, except for that one thing, incredibly well. The performances are amazing. I love that Jesse Plemons has come from kind of a small-time character actor and grown into this, you know, Oscar-worthy, big-time, triple-A, triple-A, A-tier actor. I love it. I love it. Good for him. I thought he was great in um, I'm Thinking of Ending Things from Charlie Kaufman. Great, great movie. And, um, you know, Benedict Cumberbatch's performance is also great. I mean, no, there's no weak link here of, of the main four characters. Kirsten Dunst does a great job. Her standout scene is um, when she's kind of pressured to play the piano. Um, that She kills it in that scene. It's, it's the, the tension in that room is overwhelming. It's, and, you know, as I'm talking about it and thinking about it, there are so many things that are done right here. You know, there's only important moments in the plot. And there's no fat here. The movie is, a, you know, a little long. I think maybe it could be five minutes shorter. It's just a little long because it's slow in the beginning. It's... It's this. It's establishing this life of Montana in 1925 on a ranch. It's it's slow and it's peaceful and it's simple, just like life was in that time. But it doesn't necessarily make for a, a highly entertaining movie. But it does make for a good movie. It set out to do what it wanted to do. But I I truly can't get over that. I think they missed an important character-defining moment for Benedict Cumberbatch. I think they missed it. I do. I don't think that that scene was in the movie. And because of how good other things are, I think that writer-director, Jane Campion, I think it's somewhere. I think that scene is somewhere. I think it's written, I think, but it just might not have made it to the final cut or it just might have gone over my head because the movie, the, the performances are just a little too subtle. So that is the only negative thing I can say about the movie. Other than that, I could gush about how good it is. Truly, truly great. I think this is going to be a movie to look out for. Um, This and Licorice Pizza are front runners for best picture. I think this year out of the things I've seen, at least drive my car is supposedly amazing. I think that that is a shoe in for uh, best foreign film based on things that I've seen. Right. I haven't seen any foreign films this year. Um, well, I haven't seen any new foreign films this year. And, uh, so yeah, yep. That's pretty much it. All I have to say about that, um, 
it's certainly one to look out for, is where I'll leave it. So, all right, now let's get into the biggest news stories of the week. Here's the news. Number one, in an abrupt move, the Hollywood Foreign Press Association made the decision to not broadcast the Golden Globes this year. This was ultimately a smart move for the award show, which has frequently been prone to controversy surrounding the inclusivity or exclusivity of the HFPA and the nominees generally. Not only that, but the Oscars got a lot of criticism last year for hosting the show in person during a huge spike in COVID-19 cases in LA at the time. The HFPA probably saw the writing on the wall for this year and just decided to pull the plug on live streaming the show altogether. While this was probably a logistical move, there are theories going around the internet that say that the HFPA the HFPA is now so low on money, they were unable to fund the live streaming of the event, which is utterly false. The Golden Globes are one of the most recognizable awards in the business, regardless of their actual importance. If the HFPA wanted to live stream, they would find a way. To be honest, there was so little fanfare surrounding the event this year, and we already have literally dozens of other award shows without controversy that celebrate films from the past year. It might be time to pull the plug on the show altogether. The Golden Globes have been held annually since 1944. This is this year is the show's 79th ceremony. The top winners from this past Sunday are as follows. Best Picture Drama goes to The Power of the Dog. Best Picture Musical, West Side Story. Best Actor Drama, Will Smith and King Richard. Best Actress Drama, Nicole Kidman and Being the Ricardos. Best Director, Jane Campion for The Power of the Dog. Best Screenplay, Kenneth Branagh for Belfast. And that's all she wrote about that one. And by she, I mean me. So, yeah, that kind of came out of nowhere. I think there were little bits of information, trickles of information that that came from the HFPA, a, you know, a week at a time. There's not going to be a host this year, right? There's there's not going to be, uh, the, the red carpet isn't going to be live streamed. Um, and by live stream, I mean shown anywhere, right? You could find it online or you could find it on, you know, ABC or NBC or wherever the Golden Globes usually is. And then... And then, you know, a f- couple days before the ceremony, they were like, you know, we're just going to pull the plug all together on the cameras and the whatever, and we're just going to hold it privately and announce the winners after the after the ceremony. Um, I think this show has got to go, like I said in the, in the write-up, the only reason why I think the show is still around is because, is because of the name. Golden Globes, it's been around forever, and... You know, people—it's recognizable. You know, people—people people like it, but or people like to talk about it. But the show has no importance. The awards are not important, and you know, one could argue that awards aren't important at all. And there's definitely a case to be made there. But the reason why I myself will put some importance on awards is because they're voted on, at least these are, voted on by the union members. So these are, you know, the best of the best of the past year from the perspective of the people in the industry, from the perspective of the top-tier peers, right, that are making these movies. So, but the HFPA isn't that. The HFPA is a small, intimate group of, like, 30 to 40 to 50 people, critics, some of them, some of them industry workers, and they 
will you, you know get together and have a roundtable discussion and vote on things that way. So and it's so which is different from everywhere else. Everywhere else will at least the you know the unionized awards, SAG SAG awards, DGAs, WGAs, the Oscars, they will uh, poll people to get nominees and then they'll have anonymous ballots. But that they don't do that in the HFPA. It, it is a discussion. And that's why I think that the awards are almost always a little different from the Oscars. If you look at the WGAs versus the Oscars, if you look at the SAG Awards versus the Oscars and the DGAs versus the Oscars, there's a lot of consistency over the years. And the Golden Globes just doesn't have that. And which, you know, could be good, right? A lot of you, you could say that, you know, maybe we need some sort of, um, you know, maybe we need some sort of inconsistency with award shows. Maybe we need something that stands out and it's a little more, you know, friendly to the to the people watching, people at home watching, you know. Everyone loves West Side Story. Let's, you know, give musicals a chance or whatever. Um, I didn't see West Side Story. I'm sure it's great. I'm sure it's lovely, you know, Steven Spielberg. But, um, you know, what happened to Tick, Tick, Boom? You know, I think, I don't know. You know, what happened to Tick, Tick, Boom? <laughs> you know? Did Andrew Garfield win? If he's if he won and I said it, then that would be funny. If no, it doesn't look like he did. Best, best. Oh, I must have not read best actor uh, musical because I think Andrew Garfield actually did win the Golden Globe. But you know that, and that's all I can say is, you know, there because there are categories for drama and musical in every category it just gives more movies the chance to shine a little bit which is good there was a movie that i really liked a few years ago it uh was on i think it i don't think it was netflix exclusive i think netflix had the exclusive distribution rights for a few years because it's not on netflix anymore but it was called sing street and it was a musical and it w was nominated might have won a golden globe or two and, but other than that, it wasn't seen anywhere at the Oscars. And I loved it. I thought it was great. And that was just a year that I was trying to keep up with a lot of award shows. So so the, I think the Golden Globes have a have some sort of importance to them, right? The name is there. There's importance there to give shine to movies that might not see light in the Oscars. Um, and it's really accessible, right? Because, because of the sometimes difference in nominees and um, and difference in what wins. It's really accessible to people. My mom loves watching the Golden Globes. My friend uh, my, my friend and her mom love to watch the Golden Globes together. It's it's it has a, a place. but in terms of quality of award events, you know, award winners, how they're decided, I think the show is nonsense. I don't think it has any importance. I don't think the awards have any importance. Obviously, the show does, giving light and shine to those other movies that might not see it in this in the awards season. Like Sing Street, right? If you happen to see Sing Street out in the wild, buy it. It's great. Great movie. You'll love it. I guarantee it. And so... But, you know, to be honest, I... I think it's time for the show to go. And I think that's probably where that's headed, right? They didn't broadcast it this year. I know they came under a lot of flack last year and the, and the previous year. I think the show's done. No one's talked. No, I didn't hear anyone talk about it. And this was kind of a big deal. That's why I put it at the top. Number one news story, Golden Globes. 
not happening. I think that's all I have to say about that is that's my prediction for the next year. I think that if they don't do a live show next year, if they do this same thing, if they try to pull this same thing, I think the show's done. I think it's done. But if they come back and do a live show next year, I think the show could survive. But what do I honestly, truly think is going to happen? I think the show is done. I do. I think they came over under too much flack. I think the HFPA is going to have to try and do something else. I don't think they should follow in the footsteps of the Oscars and try and be this Oscars replicator. Even celebrities say they don't like the Golden Globes because it's, it's... a dinner ceremony. It's not a an award show. You sit down and the awards are presented to you. You sit down at dinner. If you ever watch the Golden Globes from previous years and you look at people in the audience, they're all like boozing up and talking to each other at the dinner table and like, you know, schmoozing other industry people. It's it's a different attitude of an award show. It's totally different. And I think if they want to try and follow in the footsteps of the Oscars and be this type of Sunday night primetime show of awards, I think they should just do something different. Embrace being different and make it different. Make it fun. The Oscars is never really that fun, right? I I mean, actually growing up, I kind of remember it being fun. Tina Fey and Amy Poehler, I think, hosted one year, maybe. Jimmy Kimmel hosted one year. Like, I remember times of it being fun. But um, it certainly was not fun to watch last year. Other than seeing what would win, right? I I was intrigued at what would win. Okay, I think that's all I have to say about that. I don't want to exhaust any topic, so... Uh, If you have anything else to say, please write in and we can have some sort of discussion on the show. So number two, uh, the Bob's Burgers movie got its first official trailer this week via 20th Century Fox. Ooh, sorry. A little slip up. 20th Century Fox is no longer called 20th Century Fox. Via 20th, 20th Century Studios official YouTube channel. The video description reads, quote, The Bob's Burgers movie is an animated big screen musical comedy mystery adventure based on the long running Emmy winning series. The story begins when a ruptured water main creates an enormous sinkhole right in front of Bob's Burgers, blocking the entrance indefinitely and ruining ruining the Belcher's plans for a successful summer. While Bob and Linda struggle to keep the business afloat, the kids try to solve a mystery that could save their family's restaurant. As the danger mounts, these underdogs help each other find hope and fight to get back behind the counter where they belong. End quote. The Bob's Burgers movie is co-directed by Lauren Bouchard, the ser- the original series creator, and Bernard Derriman, a long-running director of the series as well. The film is written by Bouchard along with series regulars uh, Jim Tower, Jim Towderive, and Nora Smith. All the original cast will reprise their roles, such as H. John Benjamin, uh, Kristen Schaal, Dan Mintz, John Roberts, Eugene Meerman, and others. Having all the, all the original cast and writers team to make this film is certainly a good sign as far as the quality of the movie is concerned in relation to, in relation to the show. Bob's Burgers is currently it's currently ongoing animated it's currently an ongoing animated comedy from Fox and 20th Century Studios Animation. The show recently finished its 12th season and is renewed for a 13th seri- season following the film. 
having both active production on the show while the film is being produced is a similar path that The Simpsons took with The Simpsons Movie, which is also owned and produced by 20th Century Studios Animation and airing on Fox. The Bob's Burgers movies will be released in theaters on May 27th, 2022. So the reason, the only reason why I bring up The Simpsons in that last bit is to just draw comparison to how good The Simpsons movie was, and the show is still ongoing. Uh, and I don't, I don't know if Bob's Burgers is going to live that life and be one of the best shows of all time. I think it could be. I think it has the, um, I think it has the fan base to be one of the best shows of all time, longest running series and follow in the Simpsons footsteps. Definitely. I think it definitely does have that, have the legs to do that. Um, so, you know, we'll see what happens with the movie. I'm going to watch a trailer right now. I'm not a huge fan of Bob's Burgers. Um, I've, it's popular in my family and amongst my friends. Um, first for whatever reason, I just never got into it. I've seen a ton of episodes though. Um, so I'm sure that I'll be able to give some sort of honest opinion as after I watch the trailer. So I will be right back. I thought that I would be able to give some sort of opinion about what I thought about the tone of the movie, but the trailer doesn't really do a great job at exploring what that is and how similar it is to the show. I mean, it seems because only because it's a lot of intermittent disparate parts of scenes. Um, it's a good first trailer is what I can say. I think there's going to be another trailer. Um, this seems more like a teaser to me. That's just kind of tease. There's really no, if I didn't read the description about what's going on with the water main and everything, I would have no idea what's going on in the movie. It just seems like a summer event, right? At Bob's Burgers. And it's just another thing that they get into and then you get mixed up in something and, and, and the family, the Belcher family has got to save the day in some way. So, um, but you know, as far as quality of the movie is concerned, I, I don't know. It's I, it seems like it's carrying this the same kind of uh, you know whimsical, lighthearted tone that the show has. And if it does carry that same tone, um, then it can only be set up for success because the show is great. It's really high quality, um, and I'm I am uh, even though I'm not a huge fan of the show compared to some other people that I know, um, I know it very well. And, um, seeing this trailer kind of made me a little sad that I didn't, you know, put as much time into it as some other people, because it's great. Um, I love the characters. They're so endearing. So I hope that it can keep that same nature. Um, but I will, uh, continue to update that as that progresses and hope that the, the movie as it comes out is, uh, gets a lot of press and makes its money back. And inspires more seasons as well. So, let's move on. Number three. Upcoming Steven Soderbergh film Kimmy got its first trailer this week via Warner Brothers' official YouTube channel. The film is given a brief description of, quote, What if every breath, every sound, every moment was recorded? End quote. The film stars Zoe Kravitz, Rita Wilson, and Devin Rat uh, Rattray and is written by David Coep, who is also known for writing screenplays to popular films such as Jurassic Park, Carlito's Way, 2001 Spider-Man, Panic Room, Mission Impossible, and Angels and Demons, among others. Soderbergh is a director with a lot of clout, but is most notable for directing Sex, Lies, and Videotape, Aaron Brockovich, 2002 Solaris, uh, The Ocean's Trilogy, The Informant, Magic Mike, and the upcoming Magic Mike, uh, I think it's the third, the threequel whatever it's called. Magic Mike's Last Dance, I think it's called. He's directing that one. 
uh, Logan Lucky, and most recently, No Sudden Move. While not all of his movies are hits, the combination of Soderbergh and Coep can be seen as a good indication of quality for the film. Kimmy is set to release on February 10th, 2022. Um, I actually wasn't even going to uh, watch this trailer on the show. You know, it makes my job a little more difficult with editing. Um, I need to find, you know, whatever, long story short. It makes my job a little difficult to watch the trailers. But uh, when I found out that David Coop was writing, I was like, wow, there could really be something special here. Um, I like Soderbergh, but not everything he does is a hit. And uh, sometimes it's way off. But Coop is a great writer. Um, so, so yeah, I'm going to watch the trailer. I hope it's uh, exciting. So I'll be right back. That's a pretty good trailer. It's a more intriguing concept, I think. And, you know, when I read the description, the the uh, what if every breath, every sound, every moment was recorded, um, the first thing that I thought of when I was writing up that story was, that sounds exactly like today. It sounds like, you know, my phone's listening. We have Siri. I have a Google Home Assistant or whatever. And that's exactly what they're trying to do here. The Kimmy is um is this home assistant and it seems like it recorded some sort of uh premeditated murder um and then you know the plot sort of unravels from there so it's a really interesting concept which is exactly what I could get I could was you know expecting from Coep uh the screenwriter and even just even just the subtlety of um you know the the home assistants um, you know, its response to its name, right? When we say, okay, Google, it just, you know, it listens. But when, when in this movie, when you say Kimmy, it says, I'm here. And I think that's really significant to say, you know, it's not passively listening. Kimmy, it's here. It's always here, right? It's always listening to something. It's always here. I think that that is significant. And that's something that you can get from good writing, and Coep is a great writer. So, um, and I also wanted to say that I forgot that, um, I forgot to put this in the write-up, that Steven Soderbergh uh, is an Academy Award-winning director. I, I usually like to put that in with, uh, with you know, whatever I'm, I'm writing up. He won the Academy Award for Traffic from 2000. I forgot about that. Michael Douglas starring film. Um, yeah, but, you, you know, other than that, interesting concept. I'm really intrigued. I'm not 100% sold. Um, it could be good. I think the trailer does this really annoying thing that a lot of trailers do where it has that inception sound. Anytime that something like significant is supposed to happen. So it's like, oh my God, it was a murder. It's so annoying. Um, especially because they have a Billie Eilish song playing in the background and it it doesn't fit with the song and it's not even on the correct beats of the, it's, it's annoying and it really threw me off. Um, so that's kind of why I'm not sold on it because the trailer, it's not good. You know, the trailer is the proof of concept for the movie. Um, it's supposed to show you what the value is of going to see this movie. Um, but I think that the real value is from Soderbergh and Coet, the people behind the scenes. So. Um, so we'll see if that gets another trailer, but I don't think it will. February 10th is soon. That is imminent. I hope that the reviews come out and it's good because, um, uh, I, I want to see it. It's, it's a, it's, I hope it's good. 
February releases are usually not great, um, so we'll see. I think February 10th is the same weekend as Uncharted. Uncharted is going to blow it out of the water if that's if that's the same weekend. So, um, and I think it is. So you know we'll we'll see. Okay, moving on. Number four, Rooney Mara is set to star as Audrey Hepburn in a new original biopic from the late Golden Globe. Golden Globe. What am I saying here? About the late Golden Age actress for Apple TV Plus, according to the Hollywood Reporter. The film will be directed by Luca Guadagnino, who is best known for directing the critically acclaimed drama from 2017, Call Me By Your Name. However good that film was, there is no hiding that the true star of Call Me By Your Name was in the script, and the Academy agreed as it won Best Adapted Screenplay in 2018. There is no doubt that Guadagnino is a very capable director, but his presence on the film doesn't necessarily guarantee a high-quality product. Rudy Mara is a two-time Academy Award-nominated actress, best known for The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, The Social Network, Carol, Lion, and more recently, Nightmare Alley. She frequently works with the best directors in the business and has proved herself as an A-tier performer. Audrey Hepburn was a famed and lauded actress of the 50s, 60s, and early 70s, best known for Breakfast at Tiffany's, The Children's Hour, Charade, My Fair Lady, How to Steal a Million, and Wait Until Dark. The biopic does not yet have a title or release date, but we can infer that if the film begins production this summer, we could see it in the spring or summer of 2023. Uh, you know, really nothing else to say there, but I think that's going to be big. Um, I think Guadagnino, Luca Guadagnino is is uh, swinging for the fences with this movie about Audrey Hepburn. Um, a lot of Golden Age stars are kind of untouchable. Um, which is why I think it was a little surprising that Aaron Sorkin, uh, in the being with the Ricardos, didn't get as much press um, as as it should have. I think, but uh, but Rooney Mara is great. She is she's incredible. Um, I've never seen her give a a poor performance or a subpar performance, and uh, I haven't seen anything from Luca Guadagnino other than Call Me by Your Name. But Call Me by Your Name was great. But as I said. The star of that sh- of that movie is in the script. Um, I the the directing and the and the tone um, are all you know consistent with what the script is setting up. But the script is ma- is the real star. That is a that is incredible screenwriting. Um, so the only thing that I can hope from this is that the script is good. Because Luca Guadagnino definitely knows what to do with a good script, um, but I haven't seen anything else, so maybe he knows what to do with a bad script as well. So I guess we'll just see. I'll, I'll update more as the, as more information comes out, but we won't be seeing that movie for a while. Um, so that's it. That's all the big news stories. Last thing is a wrap-up. According to various sources, a new documentary about late actor Sidney Poitier, Poitier, Poitier is in production at Apple with Oprah acting as executive producer. He also died recently over the past week, so sad to see him go. He was a legend. Hollywood Reporter reports that Scott Pilgrim animated series anim, anime series is in the works with creator Brian Lee O'Malley co-writing and producing. Disney announced that Pixar's Turning Red will not release in theaters and will instead be a Disney Plus exclusive on March 11th. Multiple sources I've reported that Ben's Ben Kingsley, Ralph Fiennes, and Dev Patel will be joining Benedict Cumberbatch and Wes Anderson's new film. The Hollywood Reporter reports that Julia Garner is set to star in upcoming thriller Apartment 7A. 
The Hollywood Reporter reports that UK release of Cyrano will be pushed from January 14th to February 25th due to COVID. Deadline reports that Allison Janney joins John David Washington in upcoming sci-fi picture True Love. Deadline reports that Lionsgate purchases Blacklist featured screenplay Homecoming. Deadline reports that A24 and New Regency join as partners for Steve McQueen's World War II documentary. Uh, I don't think it's called New Regency. I have in the write-up that it's called New Regency, but it's definitely not called that. It's called something else. Um, yeah. Deadline reports that Vanessa Kirby is set to star opposite Joaquin Phoenix as Napoleon in Apple-exclusive Kit Bag from Ridley Scott. Deadline reports that Gareth Evans's Indonesian film The Raid will be getting a U.S. Netflix adaptation from producers Michael Bay and Patrick Hughes, who will direct, and Evans himself signing on as producer as well. Deadline reports that Andrew Koji joins the cast of fantasy thriller Boy Kills World, also starring Bill Skarsgård, Samara Weaving, and Yayan Ruian. Deadline reports that Pig director Michael Cernoski will direct the Quiet Place spinoff movie. CNN and HBO have announced that Ethan Hawke directed documentary about Joanne Woodward and Paul Newman will be exclusive to CNN Plus with Martin Scorsese joining as executive producer. I didn't even know CNN Plus was a thing. Deadline reports that Jada Pinkett Smith has signed on for a new film titled Red Zone from director Matthew A. Cherry and screenwriter Kristen Lane. Deadline reports that Leigh Ray Howery, uh, sorry, Lil Ray Howery joins Zachary Levy in upcoming adaptation of Harold and the Purple Crayon. Deadline reports that Viola Davis is in talks to star in Amazon drama Two Butterflies from screenwriter Evan Dodson and director Yance Ford. Several sources confirm that John Watts is being added as a producer on Final Destination 6. And that is all the news. So, um, not anything that I really want to touch on in the wrap-up, other than uh, Ethan Hawke directed something, so that's cool. He's great. Um, so yeah, let's get into what's new this weekend. A few things. Uh, Scream comes to theaters this weekend. 25 years after the original series of murders in Woodsboro, a new killer emerges, and Sidney Prescott must return to uncover the truth. Directed by by Matt Bet- Bettinelli Olpin and Tyler Gillette. Starring Neve Campbell, Courtney Cox, David Arquette, and Marley Shelton. Sesame Street comes to theaters this week. Big Bird and his Sesame Street friends are mysteriously expelled from their neighborhood, finding themselves in Manhattan. They team up with a with a plucky history show host, Sally ha- Hawthorne, who's a guest who's on a quest to save her show and prove that Sesame Street actually exists with obstacles created by the evil mayor with reasons of his own for keeping Sesame Street hidden from the world. Directed by Jonathan Crisell, starring Anne Hathaway, Bo Burnham, and Chance the Rapper. What, a, what an interesting cast. And Belle comes to theaters this week. Suzu is a shy high school student living in a rural village. For years, she has only been a shadow of herself. But when she enters you, a massive virtual world, she escapes into her online persona as Belle, a globally beloved singer. Directed by Mamoru Hosada, starring Kaho Nakamura, Ryo Narita, Shota Somatani, and Tina Tamashiro. And that's everything coming to theaters this week. Um, I didn't really realize that Sesame Street was coming out, but um, if it has any sort of big press, um, like it should, 
then it's going to be huge. Disney movies always do huge. Kids movies are kids movies are always big. You can see that with Sing too. Even Sing, the first one did great. So, um, if if anyone who has kids is hearing about the movie, um, you know they're probably going to go see it. I don't know what it is about kids movies, but they just draw a huge audience, make a lot of money. So, uh, so that's it. That's everything for episode fifteen. Um, I hope you learned something from the show. I hope you got a little entertainment. My name is Dylan Paulson. This was What Gets Captured on Film. If you have anything you want to write into the show about, please do. WhatGetsCaptured at gmail.com. And um, stay safe out there. I will see you next week. Shows post Wednesday, 9 a.m., Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. 12 noon on YouTube. So um, all of those times are in Eastern. So... I will see you next week. Have a good day. Goodbye.